It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it. It is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December 11th, 2008. We're live on your computer tonight. We hope you'll take a minute to join in on this listener interactive program. You do so by one of two ways. First off, you can call... 877-381-4567, 877-381-4567. Or you can send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. It is toll-free for you to call, and we won't charge you to send an email. We'd like to hear from you on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. I'm joined again by my father, Greg Gwynn. Hello, Dad. Welcome to the program. Jacob, great to be with you. We look forward to a good Bible study tonight. We've got some important things to discuss as we really continue a study that we began last week. On Bible authority, Jacob, it's a really important subject. We, we we refer to it just almost every edition of the virtual Bible study. We make some reference to Bible authority or doing Bible things in Bible ways, but we're just trying to get a, a little more specific study of that subject, how to establish Bible authority. We want to continue the discussion we had last week, and we hope that you'll get involved by participating uh, phone, with phone calls and emails. We talked about last week the fact that without Bible authority, then you open the door for anything and everything to go. The minute you say, I don't have Bible authority for this, but I want to do it anyways, is the minute that you say you can do anything that you can imagine and call it service to God, and he'll have to like it. Well, as we were pointing out last week, Jacob, if if you get to add something for which you cannot prove it from the Bible, that it's what God wants us to do, the way he wants it to do, if you're allowed to make that first change or innovation then you really don't have any basis to object if I want to bring in something else. I mean, once you pass that threshold, there's no stopping place, literally. And that's what we're seeing in the denominational world. We're seeing all kinds of situations where there's just literally no stopping place. The the only place to stop is to stop with the Word of God. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, book, chapter, and verse. We've got to have authority for everything we do. Colossians 3.17 says, whatsoever you do, meaning everything that we do, uh, do it uh, in the name of or by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 tells us that we've got to have authority for everything we do. All right. Let us know your thoughts about this important subject of Bible authority, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. I don't know what it's like where you are, but if you're in our area, it's kind of a snowy winter night. We've got some of that southern snowstorm, Jacob. got some snowy roads right now, so it's a good night to be sitting down in front of the computer and participating in our online Bible study. It's good to be here tonight. It yeah. was a little bit treacherous getting here tonight. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, people up north would think that we were really uh, uh, sissies for complaining about the roads. As they it wasn't were. difficult to drive in per se, but it was difficult getting around the other cars that were, that were <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. sideways. People, Southerners don't know how to drive in that's the snow, right. that's for sure. You, along the lines of your, your question tonight, Dad, I don't know if you want to get into it now or not, but... Um, I saw a Newsweek article that made a lot of stir. Well, let's let's talk about that because you've got a Newsweek article that really emphasizes the point. Now, real quick, uh, uh, last week 
We talked in at length about how we establish Bible authority by having either a direct command or statement in the scriptures. That's number one. Number two, having an approved example of how inspired people and first century Christians did their work. Or number three, a necessary and inescapable conclusion. Sometimes we say necessary inference. We believe those are the three ways that we establish Bible authority. So we, we talked a lot about that last week. If you didn't get to catch that discussion, then I would encourage you to uh, go back, maybe re-listen that, because I think it's very important. But we had some follow-up questions that we did not get to last week. We repeated them this week. We put them out to our to our uh, update list. We've got some new uh, input, and we, we're still looking to hear from you. But the question that we're dealing with right now is, how would you answer someone, Jacob, who says that in order for a thing to be wrong, it must be specifically condemned in the scriptures. So God has to say not to before don't, I can. Don't do this. For, and, and I gave the, for instance, someone says the New Testament doesn't say thou shalt not play instrumental music in worship. Therefore, it's okay to use instruments because God didn't say not to. Now, I think you got a news article there that shows if you take that kind of logic, it will lead you just literally anywhere. Yeah, you may have seen this Newsweek article. It made a huge stir in the media this week. Uh, the article was written by Lisa Miller. The title is Our Mutual Joy, Opponents of Gay Marriage Often Cite Scripture, But What the Bible Teaches About Love Argues for the Other Side. And this Lisa Miller goes through and makes all kinds of blasphemous arguments in support of homosexual marriage. But she makes some of the same arguments that people will make to support having a piano in their worship services. Didn't she, didn't she make that the Bible doesn't say not to argue? She did. Uh, she says, while the Bible and Jesus say many important things about love and family, neither explicitly defines marriage as between one man and one woman. So they, The Bible didn't say she could, a man couldn't be married it just to a man. Said, the Bible said that a man and a woman are married, but it didn't say that you couldn't be, have a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Therefore, Lisa Miller says it would be okay. Well, but in other words, she's willing to do that. But, you know, you could, if you're going to grant that argument, the Bible doesn't say you couldn't have a man and a dog be married together. Well, you know, there's no, there's no quitting place. There's no stopping a place. A lot of people, though, that would want to justify using a piano in their worship would say, well, that's okay. But they would draw the line. Well, you can't do that. The Bible said what marriage is is a man and a woman, and so we have to stop at what the Bible says. But it doesn't say not to have a man and a man. This is what this woman's are. I believe she's wrong. I believe she, she's well, obviously here, wrong. Here we go. And, and she, she says, in that light, Scripture gives us no reason why gays and lesbians should not be married and a number of excellent reasons why they should. Again, didn't say not to, so we can do it. Now, that's a, that's an argument that a lot of religious people would make, but a lot of religious people are put on the brake and say, whoa, we can't allow homosexual marriage because God told us that marriage is between a man and a woman. So what what most people would say is, now, wait a minute, this woman is way off base because God specified what marriage is. God specified marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman, right? He, and, and so since he told us what he wanted – then that then homosexual marriage does not work. It's not acceptable. But that's what we're saying is if you understand that line of reasoning, then you ought to understand it in all matters. So when God specifies something, then other things that are not specified are necessarily excluded. This Lisa Miller goes on and says it probably goes without saying that the phrase, quote unquote, quote, gay marriage does not appear in the Bible at all. Yeah. See, the Bible didn't condemn. It doesn't even. You can't even find the term "gay marriage," and so it must be okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so now that's the that's the logical conclusion of not having Bible authority for all that you do 
If you can, if, again, if you can see that we can't allow homosexual marriage on that authority, then we can't allow anything that God using has an that standard of authority. That's right. Uh, we, we got an email. Uh, we, we referred to this last week, and some some more good information here from Mike or Michael up in uh, uh, Orleans, Indiana. Uh, he says. In answer to this, how would you answer someone who says that in order for a thing to be wrong, it must be specifically condemned? He said, if you hired me to paint your house wildflower yellow, it would be understood by both of us what was expected of me. You hired me to paint your house. That excludes the doghouse, the shed, the garage, the cat, your neighbor's house, or anything other than your house. And the color is agreed upon, and that excludes all other colors. Um, now, see what I'm saying? I mean, we use that kind of logic all the time in homosexual, I mean heterosexual versus homosexual marriage, we use the same argument. No, what? I, well, yeah, but God what said I'm saying, man and woman, therefore, we can't be man and man. That's right. What I'm saying though is just in everyday life. Sure. When we're when we're dealing with people, when we're uh, making agreements to do work or buy products or whatever, we understand that when you specify something, other things are excluded. Now that's what we're saying about the homosexual marriage. When God identified marriage as between a man and a woman, it obviously therefore excludes between a man and a man, or between a woman and a woman, or between a man and a dog. Uh, it, it's the it's uh, Michael goes on to call it the law of exclusion. I think that's a fair description. This is the law of exclusion. Uh, he says, consider the ramifications of such a statement, as if God simply telling us what we should do is not enough. If he had to list every single thing that man was forbidden to do, the Bible would contain so many pages of instruction you couldn't fit it in a semi-truck and it would be nearly impossible to remember every single restriction mentioned. Since God specified what he wants, understanding that all other things are unauthorized and therefore are forbidden makes things very easy to remember, understand, and apply. I think he's exactly right. Um, when 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 we make an order, I, I think I used this illustration last week, Jay, when I order something from the Sears catalog. Do you I tell order them, things from the Sears catalog? I, have, I haven't in a long time, okay. but if I did, I would tell can them. Can you still order things from the yeah, I don't I think, think they have a catalog. You're ruining my illustration. Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead. Uh, no, really. It, it, we understand that. When you, maybe it's not the Sears catalog. Maybe somebody it's else. the Internet. Can, maybe something on the Internet. That's even bigger than the catalog. That's got more items on okay. it. I don't, have to, I don't have to tell them what I don't want. When I tell them what I want. Then other things are obviously excluded. That's okay. and he and Michael calls it the law of exclusion. I think it's a pretty good rule, uh, and, and that's I think the right answer to this question. I got an email from Jonathan in uh, Cookville, Tennessee, who uh, in, in dealing with this, he says, ask the person who uses that logic what they would say to their young teenage driver that says, "I know you said go to the store, but you didn't say I couldn't go to my friend's house." It's only logical that when authority is given to do something by command, example, inference, then everything else is automatically forbidden. Uh, again, caution must be used to make sure we're not forbidding something that the Bible author- authorizes somewhere else. Um, but, you know, and we may have, I think maybe we hinted or made slight reference to this point from Jonathan last week, but I think he's making a good point. If you're a teenage driver, you, you send them to the store on a specific mission, but they were gone for for eight or ten hours, and when they came back, you were mad and, and worried, and you said, where have you been? And you said, well, you didn't say I couldn't go to my friend's house, and so I've been over at my friend's house all afternoon. Uh, it's understood when you specify what you want them to do, you exclude authority to do other things that you didn't tell them to do. All right. Jason in Pennsylvania says, we must abide only in what is written in the doctrine of Christ. 
Second John chapter 1, verse 9 says, Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the teaching of Christ hath not God, but he that abideth in the teaching, the same hath both the Father and the Son. If Jesus didn't tell us to do something, and we decide to do it anyways, this verse says that we do not have God. When it comes to the example of instruments that you used, the Lord commands us to use the instrument of the human heart. Ephesians 5.18. Okay. Uh, uh, 5.19. Mm-hmm. So the... Uh, I think he's exactly right. Again, the same point. Here's here's an email from our friend Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, who says, in other words, to this question, the Bible doesn't say not to. He says, by that same rationalization, how about if I popped you in the nose? Would that be okay? Seeing that thou shalt not pop thy neighbor in the nose is not found anywhere in the Bible. Uh, in other words, it doesn't say not to do that. So if it doesn't say not to do it, I can do it. That that'd be that'd be crazy, illogical. But that that would be the same kind of thing that is argued by this woman about homosexual marriage, or even those who argue in favor of instrumental music, because the Bible doesn't say not to. Doesn't have to say not to. When God specifies something, other things are excluded. That's our point. He say, he goes on. Jim goes on to say, uh, let's use brownies and Kool Aid for the Lord's Supper, seeing that the New Testament does not say thou shalt not use brownies and Kool Aid for the Lord's Supper. If not, why not? Why couldn't we? I think that's that's a very practical uh, example. Why can't we change and use different elements when we observe the Lord's Supper? The Bible doesn't say not to, but it does tell us what to do. And when it tells us what to do, it doesn't have to tell us what not to do. The Bible doesn't say that a man and a man cannot get married. What we're saying here, and this this is an expression that we haven't used, but I think we need to identify it as such. What we're talking about here is specific authority. When God gives the specifics, when He specifies what He wants, other things are excluded, and we have to we have to accept that as being true. It's true to our own form of communication. It's true to every sense of logic and reasoning that we apply on a daily basis, and and it. it has to be applied when it comes to our religious service to God. All right, we'll take a break and we'll take your call on the other side of the break, hopefully at 877-381-4567 or we'll take your email at questions at collegeview.com. Jump in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the web page can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. 
My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're part of it tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you. The line is open at 877-381-4567, and the email is working tonight, questions at collegeview.com. Join in as we talk about the importance of Bible authority. We clearly must have Bible authority for all that we do, and we want to talk about it with you on the program tonight. Dave, we've got an email from Anthony, who you just heard on that commercial. Uh, he he emailed in and says, concerning this idea, the Bible doesn't say not to, therefore it's okay to do it. He says, I would reply that God created us and he told us how to worship him and how to live our lives in such a way that would please him. Since he, is, since he being our creator, has given us a pattern to follow, we must follow only what is in the pattern. I would also use the tried and true analogy of the kid being sent to the grocery store with a shopping list. And I think that's a great analogy. You send him there to buy something. You don't have to tell him to buy everything else in the store. You tell him what you want. You expect him to get that and nothing else. And, again, I, to me, it's almost frustrating that people would make this argument. The Bible doesn't say not to when it is such a common way of thinking and acting in, in our normal way of operating every day. I don't know why people want to use some kind of different logic or some different way of reasoning when it comes to religion. It's it's very frustrating. Well, we use it. In, the sad part is we use it in religion for certain things. We use it for the things that we agree with, but we do not use it for the things that we would prefer. We'll use it in the area of homosexual marriage, but we won't use it in things like instrumental music or church-sponsored recreation because we enjoy those things. And we don't see anything wrong with it. Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that the church can't have a fellowship hall in a kitchen. Uh, and so, since it doesn't say that we can't have parties and provide for secular entertainment of the members, it doesn't say not to. Why can't we? It doesn't say not to. Well, some people say though when you make. I mean, that's the, that's the argument they're certainly. making. But some people say that you're just being too picky when you say things like that. Well, but th- this is this is why we're not too picky because if if we don't make those arguments about simple things like that, then we're gonna we're gonna have to swallow hard, but we're gonna have to accept homosexual. That's, marriage. that's the point. If we if we violate the standard of absolute Bible authority for all that we do, then there is literally no stopping place. It, you know, most people want to have their fellowship halls and their kitchens and their parties and their recreation because that just seems nice and good to us. Even. Uh, notwithstanding that they can't find authority for it in the scriptures. And in fact, the scriptures actually condemn such things, uh, such as in 1 Corinthians 11. But when it comes to something like homosexual homosexual marriage, then we start to jump on the bandwagon. We start to see it very clearly on that. Yeah, I think you've got some other questions. Well, this this Lisa Miller also says uh, this. We're talking about what I think. You know, you talk about what seems to me it would be good to have the basketball court where we can play basketball after we get done worshiping God on Sunday. It, it seems good to me that we'd have a piano. I like it. Uh, she references a, a, some kind of priest who says, he adds in his heart, he believes that if Jesus were alive today, he would reach out especially to the gays and lesbians among us, for Jesus does not want people to be lonely and sad. He thinks that Jesus would include the homosexuals. He thinks that Jesus would want the homosexuals to be married because he doesn't think that Jesus would want us to be lonely and sad. Yeah. And people that people, I don't think God would have a problem with us having a carnival out in the parking lot. Jesus would want us to provide entertainment for our young people. 
because you know it's 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 tough being a kid and you need something to divert your attention from all the evils in the world i think jesus would want us to build a gym and a fellowship hall in the kitchen now people will make that argument but that's the same argument she's making to justify homosexual marriage. Get ready, because if you make that argument, you're going to have to ex- logically, you're going to have to accept the homosexual in their marriage. And notice this. There's another argument we talked about last week, Dad. We made noted that some people say we do a lot of things without Bible authority. They're all kind. Of, you, when you say you can't do that because we don't have authority from it from the scriptures, someone will fire back. Well, we do a lot of things without Bible authority. If you make that argument, and if you do a lot of things without Bible authority, you need to accept homosexual marriage as well. This woman makes the same argument to support homosexual marriage. She says, any, in any case, one might add, Paul argued more strenuously against divorce than homosexual marriage, and at least half of the Christians in America disregard that teaching. So we disregard his teaching on divorce, so it's okay to disregard his teaching on homosexuality, right. too. Right. In other words, we're doing – and that is that statement. I've I've heard plenty of people make it. I've – as I mentioned last week, we attended a religious debate in which the one, the, the one fellow said, oh, we do lots of things that we don't have authority for. That's no argument at all. The answer to that is if we're doing things without authority, we better quit. That We should not use that argument to justify doing more things without authority. Uh, just because there are people who are having divorces doesn't mean that homosexual marriage is right. They need to stop having the unlawful divorces. Exactly right. And Colossians 3.17, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We must have authority for everything. Uh, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We need book, chapter, and verse. We need a thus saith the Lord uh, for all that we do in service. Well, God. I hope that the, that article emphasizes the fact, Dad, that we're not just being picky. We're just we're just sticking to the Bible because if we don't stick to the Bible, then Katie bar the door because it's going to get crazy around here. Once you once you open that door or once you cross that threshold, there's no stopping place. That, you know, and that's why some people some people might say, well, you're just too picky. You're being you're being legalistic. Legalistic. Yes. We're saying no. What we're doing, trying to do is have authority for what we do because we realize the implications and ramifications if we don't. One of the best, uh, and, and I, I'm a little bit surprised that some of our emailers haven't mentioned this yet, and uh, maybe in some of the other things that we read, we'll see it. But I think one of the best examples of the Lord specifying something and everything else being excluded is the case of Noah. What, what a what a great example in Genesis chapter six, when God told Noah to build an ark. He specified to him some of the particulars of of how that ark would be built. He said in Genesis 6, verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make in the ark, or to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, third stories thou shalt make it. Well, some of the details there are given, but the the one that we usually highlight, although the others are also necessary, the one we highlight is make the ark of gopher wood. No one knows for sure what gopher wood, what they call gopher wood. Uh, it must be some kind of wood that's in the world today, but we don't call it gopher wood anymore, I guess. No one knew what it was. But when God said make the ark of gopher wood, he didn't have to say don't use oak. Don't use pine. Don't use walnut. Don't use cherry. He didn't have to specify every other kind of wood that was available and say, don't use that. 
when he said, make the ark of gopher wood, Noah knew what he meant. He knew what he meant. And that's what Noah did. Uh, verse 22 of Genesis 6 says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Noah understood and he, and he, he complied. You know, the, the easy question to ask is, what if Noah had made that ark out of oak? God didn't say not to. Well, why not make it out of oak? It's Oak seems like a good wood to me for a boat. If you've got a boat that big, it needs to be strong, and oak certainly is strong. Well, the, the, you know, we can do all kinds of reasoning, but the fact, the bottom line, fact of the matter is God specified gopher wood, and when he specified that, he didn't have to say anything about any other kind of wood. Everything else was excluded. It would have been some kind of ark, though, if God had given that instruction in the 21st century. In Nashville, Tennessee, what kind of what kind of boat would we get? It would certainly be some kind of monstrosity. There'd be all kind of wood in it. Oh, certainly. You know, well, and 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 so Noah had to stick with the gopher wood, but he couldn't add any other wood. He didn't trim out the doors in uh, pine, or uh, he didn't put any kind of cherry inlay up uh, where in the family's quarters there in the ark. He did it exactly like God said. Didn't change and didn't add to what God had said. Exactly right. I want to remind everyone of an argument we made last week from. Hebrews chapter 9, in Hebrews chapter 9, no, I don't want 9, chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about the new priesthood of Jesus. Jesus is is our high priest, but he says in Hebrews 7, verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law, for he, that is Jesus, of whom these things are spoken, pertaineth to another, another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Jesus is our high priest. He couldn't have been a high priest under the old law because the high priest, it was specified in the old law that priests had to come of the tribe of Levi, of the descendants of Aaron. Jesus couldn't have been a priest because he was of the tribe of Judah. But notice, the Hebrew writer says, concerning the tribe of Judah, uh, it is evident, Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Concerning Judah, he didn't say, you can't, be a, you can't take your priest from Judah. He didn't say anything about Judah. He was silent on the subject of Judah. He specified Levi, tribe of Levi. And so the Hebrew writer is making this argument that when one thing is specified, everything else is excluded. I think it's a powerful argument, and, I, and, I, and it goes with, I may if I had my choice to make uh, two places to make this argument, I'd choose Hebrews 7 and I'd choose Genesis 6. I think it just is so clear. Anybody ought to be able to see that. All right. 877-381-4567. That line is open. Or send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Let's, let's, uh, let's tell everybody what our next question is going to be, Jake. We're about ready to go to a break. We're going to take the other side of this coin now. We've been talking about specific authority. Now, the other, the next question we've got to pursue is, how would you answer someone who says that in order for a thing to be right, it must be specifically condoned or mentioned in the Scriptures? For example, the New Testament doesn't say that you can use things like the Internet to spread the gospel. Therefore, it's wrong to use a method like the Internet to spread the gospel. All right, so we've looked at the fact the Bible has to, it doesn't have to condemn it. Now there are some people who say it has to specifically mention and condone it. Yeah, so now we're going to talk about really general authority, generic authority. Some things are generally authorized and give us an opportunity to make some decisions about how to implement them. We're going to talk about that when we come back from this break. All right, we'll take a break and get this week's bullet point and be back on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. 
We are continually concerned about maintaining a proper balance in our preaching and teaching. In particular, we're sensitive about the criticism concerning too much negative preaching. With this in mind, we'd like to ask the question, what makes preaching negative? First, let us observe that the very same sermon will be regarded by some as positive and by others as negative. Every preacher has experienced a situation where, following a lesson, some praised the message for its uplifting content and others complained that it was a discouragement. It seems clear that much of this is in the eye of the beholder. Those who are striving to live faithfully for God, who are trying to rid their lives of sin and wickedness, who really want help with overcoming their spiritual weaknesses, will be thankful for anything that moves them in those directions. If there's a hard lesson that exposes and denounces sin, they will appreciate it as simply one of the things that will maintain their resolve to be the best they can be. Conversely, if a person is not living right and has not been putting forth a sincere effort, they will feel that the sermon was aimed right at them or that the preacher was picking on them in some way. Often the preacher does not even know that he stepped on their toes. Consider this illustration. A preacher preaches a strong sermon condemning the sin of using tobacco. There's one brother in the congregation who recently quit the evil weed, and he thanks the preacher and tells him that the lesson will be a big help in maintaining his resolve to stop smoking. For him, the sermon was absolutely positive. Another brother who's still a smoker gets mad about the lesson. He gripes, but usually not directly to the preacher, that the preacher is too negative and the lessons like that simply will not do any good. Do you see it? Yes, we need balance in our preaching, but please realize that your reaction to a given lesson probably says as much about you as it does about the preacher and the topic. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. You see on your screen there a website address that was written on the board during the break. Uh, tell us what that website about is about. Jacob, our, our guest last week, uh, Clay Gentry, mentioned that this is his website, and he had put up some information there, uh, some really good lessons on Bible authority uh, from our friend Bill Hall. And they're at that by the way, that's not Bill Hall. He used to be the weatherman in Nashville. That's Bill Hall is a gospel preacher in North Alabama. He's a better uh, preacher than Bill Hall was a weatherman, if I, you can even believe that. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, but this website has got those lessons, and uh, Clay had mentioned it. We forgot to give you that address last week. So it's uh, sharingthegoodnews.wordpress.com. So you might want to check that out. All right. And we do appreciate Clay for being here last week, and we appreciate you for being a part of the program we want to hear from you on the program, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about authority, we're not being picky. That's what we want to emphasize to you tonight. We're not being picky. We are just demanding that all that we do in word or deed be done in the name or by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us very clearly. And we want to follow that instruction. So we have to know how to establish Bible authority, and that's what we're talking about tonight. Um, our friend Mike in Orleans, Indiana, has answered this next question, and I want to read what he has to say. How would you answer someone who says that in order for a thing to be right, it must be specifically condoned in the Scripture? He says he says this is, um, we're talking about generic authority. If I have a command to do something but no specific instructions about how to go about getting those things done, then the incidentals are left up to me. So long as I have fulfilled the command without violating God's will, then such would be authorized. For example, some 
as you have stated, say you cannot use the Internet to spread the gospel because we have no Bible authority. Well, we have Bible authority to preach and teach. Therefore, we have the authority to do so however the opportunity arises. So do you get the point he's making? I think he's right on. I think he's got the right answer to it. Some things are generally authorized, and when we have that general authority, it's left up to us to to, to use the appropriate uh, particulars in getting the job done. Let's go back for just a minute. Let's go back to the example we were referencing about Noah building the Ark of Gopherwood. Gopherwood was specified, therefore nothing else could be used. When God specified Gopherwood, everything else was excluded. I think it's a clear point. But did you notice when we read there in Genesis chapter 6, he did not tell Noah how to gather the gopher wood, right. how to cut it down, how to hew it into shape? He he left that up. In other words, did he use an axe? Did he use a cross saw? Did he use his boys? Did he use his boys? Did he hire helpers, hire workers? Uh, did, he, did he gather up a team of beavers to go out there and gnaw them down at the stump put them on commission put them on commission no seriously he it it didn't specify how he would go about getting the wood it said use that wood therefore he was he was authorized to use whatever seemed to be the best means available to get that wood to build that ark. that's what we're talking about when talking about general authority general authority is when we we have not been told this any specific and therefore we're left to, to use our own discretion, our own best discretion, our own best judgment as to how to get a job done. All right, certainly. Uh, so we have the generic authority. There. Yeah, let's go on here. Let me read a little bit more about from Mike in uh, Indiana. He says, further, we must understand the difference between an aid and an addition. Some have used arguments against a church building, pews, microphones, sound systems, bathrooms, saying we do a lot of things without authority. I disagree. The same folks will often say if we can do those things, then we can also build fellowship halls, play instrumental music, et cetera. However, there is a difference between an aid and an addition. An aid helps you to complete a command. An addition goes beyond and does something more than commanded. For example, when we purchase a building, it facilitates the need to assemble, Hebrews 10.25. When we use a microphone, it aids people in hearing when the preaching is done. If they can't hear, what good does it do to preach? When we provide pews, it provides a place for someone to sit while being taught the gospel. Uh... Uh, the pew aids their comfort to, uh, to be able to study. However, social halls are another story. Where in the Bible are we told that it is the work of the church to provide social enter- entertainment? Where do we find that the church is a place for social gathering? The Bible says the kingdom is not eating and drinking, Romans fourteen seventeen. And Paul said the proper place for socializing was in the home, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two. We're told that the work of the church is evangelizing, edifying, and giving benevolence. But when we eat a meal and provide entertainment, in addition, what have we done? We have given benevolence, uh, we have given benevolence, evangelism, edification, and entertainment. We've added to what God says. And then he goes on and says, when we sing to the accompany of an instrument, what have we done? We have sung and played. Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19 tell us only to sing. And when we do so, we're to teach one another. I've never heard of one being taught some scriptural truth through the sound of a guitar, piano, or drum. I think he makes several really good points there that when we have general authority, we have discretion to use the best means to accomplish what needs to be done. We can do things that aid us in the doing of it, but that does not give us authority to go beyond what's commanded, what's been specified. Uh, Good points, Mike. All right, Mike. Appreciate those good comments tonight. Anthony in Columbia, Tennessee, says to take this approach would be completely illogical and self-defeating. 
For this approach to be viable, the Bible would have to be a checklist of exact specifications for every single scenario of our lives. Of course it is not. We have to admit that there are areas of judgment, opinion, and expediency. When we realize that we are commanded to teach the gospel, we have to use our God-given intuition to find ways to follow the command without violating any other command or principle. While this idea is absurd, I do have to say I have encountered similar thinking in which people seem to think there are there must be a biblical example of something in order for it to be authorized. We have to be careful of this. This is a totally incorrect approach. I have even heard uh, in business meetings people discussing certain good works and objections made that there is no example of that in the Bible. Example is not the only way that we can derive authority for an action. Though I am not settled on the matter personally, I see some fault in the arguments against, for example, sponsoring church arrangements, arguments which are founded simply on the fact that there is no example of this. There are also no examples of songbooks or projectors or even church buildings. We must be careful. All right, what about that? Well, I was looking up something else here. I was just, just catching the last part of that that you well, were Well, he says that there is no uh, no. we have to be careful about uh, saying that we have to have an example for everything. He mentions the sponsoring church and, uh, and asks the question, is the sponsoring church wrong just because we can't find an example of it he said he wants to know basically the difference between uh, a generic command and a specific command or authorized example versus right now okay so we have let's follow this out a little bit we have a command to preach the gospel the church both individually and as as the collective body of christ we are to be engaged in evangelism could we say that the sponsoring church is just in other words, we have general authority to be preaching the gospel. Therefore, we're going to use our judgment and say we're going to use a sponsoring church arrangement to get it done. We have authority to preach, and therefore, we're going to use that authority to preach uh, and and uh, use our judgment to say the best way to get it done is if we have a sponsoring church. And I don't know if everybody that's listening would understand what the sponsoring church is. The sponsoring church is the idea that one church will undertake a specific evangelistic effort. Let's say, for instance... We want to take the the gospel to Russia. And so let's say that the College View Church here takes that on as a a project. And we get other churches to send here to this church. This church will become the sponsoring church of the take the gospel to Russia effort. Other churches would send money here, and our elders would oversee how that money would be used sending preachers and materials and other things to get the, the job of preaching the gospel in Russia done. Lots of churches, lots of churches of Christ use that methodology. Now, I think if I understand the question, the question is, what's wrong with that? Just because the Bible doesn't, uh, just because he, uh, uh, there's no example of doing it that way, would that be a, would that be a reasonable means of doing it? And the answer is no, because it violates specific concepts that the Bible does teach, the, 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 the concepts of local church autonomy, the limited oversight of congregational elders. First uh, Peter chapter 5 tells us that the authority of elders is limited to the flock which is among you. First Peter chapter 5 verse 2. It would be wrong for the elders of this church to take on such an activity because they would be assuming an oversight of something bigger than the work of their local congregation. And so the the principle of congregational autonomy and the limited oversight of elders would preclude us from using the sponsoring church as an expedient means to get preaching done. Okay. In other words, in other words we don't have an example of it, but 
uh, we don't have an example. There's no example of, in the New Testament of a sponsoring church arrangement. And I believe we can see why, because it would have been directly in violation of other principles that the Bible teaches. All right. I appreciate Anthony's attitude for saying we don't want to say we can't do something when when we shouldn't say we can't do something. And uh, maybe we can uh, look into some of that example in a further discussion, Dad, of where where yeah, where an example is binding, where it's not. I think we should do that. I think we I think in we won't do it next week, but in in some future studies, we need to uh, these rules of Bible authority that we've been talking about last week and this week. We need to apply them to the work of the church and how it is to be done. We'll do that, okay. Lord willing. All right. Thank you, Anthony, for that email tonight. Thank you for listening to the program. Um, we have an email from Stephen, and nope, Stephen didn't comment on that one uh, tonight. Uh, we have an yeah. email from Jason Go in ahead. Pennsylvania. Go ahead. He says, uh, Noah was told to build an ark of gopher wood, but wasn't told that he was allowed to use any tools. Does this mean that if he obeyed the command to build by using tools, it was sinful? Of course not. If Noah would have disobeyed the Lord by using tools... He would have perished in the flood with everyone else in the same way we are commanded to go and preach the gospel. And there are many tools that we can use to do that work, such as the Internet. But now, again, Dad, if the Internet violated a command of God or violated um, a principle that God has set forth, then we couldn't use the Internet. Well, let's go to the – yeah, I think you're exactly right. Let's go to the Noah example. What if God told Noah, build the ark of gopher wood, and then in some separate instruction he had told him, you can never use an axe to do anything. I mean, he had it, told him this 100 yeah, years ago. Yeah, 100 years earlier, okay. he said it is wrong for a man of God to ever possess or use an axe. Well, when he told him to build an ark of gopher wood, then Noah could have used various means to get the gopher wood, but he couldn't use an axe because there was already a rule against that elsewhere. Okay. I don't right. know. We may be straining at a point there, but yeah. I think that works. Yeah, sure. Those go, those beavers would have been extra the beavers important. Would, the beavers would have been a better or option. The, or the gophers, maybe. Yeah. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We got an email from Jonathan in uh, Cookville, Tennessee, who says, there are several times in the Bible that God says that we must do something, but doesn't specifically specify the methods by which it must be done. One example is that we must spread the gospel, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Mark sixteen fifteen. Another is that we are to worship. He specifies the items of worship that must be present each Sunday, but not the order they must be carried out, nor the specific times on Sunday that services must begin and end. Again, great caution should come by determining the methods to ensure that no other commands in the Bible are broken in the process. I think those are good examples. For instance, the command to, the command of worship on the first day of the week and and the the elements of that acceptable worship, but he doesn't say, in other words, do we have to have three songs and a prayer and then the sermon and then after the sermon, the Lord's Supper and after the Lord's Supper, the contribution? Or could we switch up the order? You know, well, those things are not specified. They are the elements of acceptable worship, but they're not specified in what in which order or how long each must be in, involved. And so uh, I think he, he gives a good example. That's the idea of generic or general authority. All right, Jim in Mount Pleasant says uh, the Bible doesn't say you can that you can drink chocolate milk, so you can't question mark. The Bible doesn't say that you can drive to worship, so is it sinful if you do? How far would that go? Again, as with the answer to the previous question, God made us with the ability to read, study, and apply His Word. As with concepts of authority, God can command what is to be done, and then leave the how up to us. Noah was to build an ark, but God did not tell him what tools to use. 
Does that mean if Noah used any tools that he was sending because God did not say, Noah, use an axe, Noah, use a hammer, etc.? So Noah is a popular uh, person tonight on the subject of authority, but he well, does I, show the principle. Yeah, yeah I see that. I, I mentioned Noah and said I, that I hadn't seen others using those arguments yet. Well, we've gotten to those arguments now. But I do think that Noah, everybody can understand Noah. Everybody can understand what he was told to do and how he was told to do it and what his what his limitations were and what his what his opportunities were. If you can see it with Noah, you ought to be able to see it in our case too. We have a flood of allusions to Noah's uh, example tonight. We appreciate uh, those. We want to hear from you on the program, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll take it to the top of the hour on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. The College View Church of Christ is committed to having Bible authority for all that they do in practice. And we would encourage you to come and visit with the College View Church of Christ to find out more. You can visit our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. We are talking about authority on the program tonight and the need for it. We've shown clearly that if we do not demand authority for all that we do, that we cannot demand authority for anything that we do. And that is a predicament that we certainly do not want to find ourselves in. And so we're looking to the scriptures to find out rules that we can use in determining how to apply and achieve Bible authority for all that we do. Jacob, we have one more question uh, that we ask, uh, and these questions have been out there for two weeks. If you have not answered, you have time to answer this last one. We're going to try to deal with this last point here in our study of how to establish Bible authority. We ask the question, what is an expediency, and how do expedients factor into Bible authority? We've really talked about that some already when we were talking about things that are generally authorized. When we talked about Noah had to use gopher wood because it was specified, but the means of getting it were not specified. Therefore, he was at liberty to use whatever. Now, there were some means that were precluded to him, I think. For instance, he couldn't steal the wood. I think that there was already an understood law of God against thievery, even in that day. But in in terms of, of other things that were not a violation of something else that God had said, Noah was at liberty to use every legitimate means to get that wood. Uh, those means that he used would have been the expedients. If he used an axe, 
if he used a team of mules to drag the logs, uh, if, if he used some kind of scaffolding when he was constructing that ark, all of those would have been expedients. They weren't, they weren't forbidden by any other principle or concept that God had stated. Therefore, these would have been expedients. They would have been his judgments as to how to get the job done in the best way. Um, Jim uh, Walsh has answered this. Boy, get, get this now, Jim. I've Come on. Jim says, what is an expediency? It's a former pediency. <laughs> it's an expediency. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the, then he goes on. He says, seriously, sincere, uh, seriously, an expediency is a way to accomplish something God has commanded. He says, uh, uh, as with the example of knowing the ark, any tools would have been expediencies. Expediencies are used in obeying God's will. If I am to study his word, I can do it by reading or by listening to someone teach God's will. A Bible or book is an expedient to being able to read and study. So he's saying uh, expedients are those means by which we do it. In another email, he said an expediency is a way to accomplish something that God commands. When God does not specify the way it is to be done, uh, then you can use these expedients. He says we are to meet upon the first day of the week. The place is an expediency. I think he's right. Okay. Uh, Anthony, uh, he uh, alludes to uh, the expedience question. He says, I would say expedients come into play when we have general authority for something without specific command as to how to carry it out. Singing, for example, songbooks are an expedient. Again, as long as the expedient does not violate another command or principle, they are authorized. Exactly Appreciate right. Anthony for that. Exactly right, Anthony. And Mike in Indiana says, in addition to their denotation or explicit meaning many words also have a connotation a more indirect meaning consisting of positive expedient here's what he means expediency has two basic meanings but the, these two meanings have different connotations one is negative the other is positive the first meaning of an expedient is serving to promote one's interest and this meaning does not give us a good feeling this kind of expediency is the kind that we associate with politicians Honest Pilate, for example, apparently decided to go ahead and have Jesus of Nazareth executed because it was politically expedient. But as Theodore Roosevelt argued, no man is justified in doing evil on the ground of expediency. And with regard to this kind of expediency, uh, William Morley Punchon summed it up this way. Cowardice asks, is it safe? Expediency asks, is it political? Vanity asks, is it popular? Conscience asks, is it right? So he, what he's saying is sometimes we use that word expediency. It was the expedient thing to do. I told a lie. It was the expedient thing to do in the moment. That's, yeah. that's, that's a wrong connotation of the use of Sort expedient. of an easy way out. He says the second meaning is appropriate to a particular end or purpose, and this, is the meaning not, this meaning not only has a positive connotation, but it contains an idea that's very valuable for us to think about. Used this way, the word expedient means that which is fitting, proper, beneficial, or helpful. And in this sense, we ought to consider the expediency of every action that we contemplate engaging in. Whatever the decision, the crucial question for an honorable person is not simply, is this permissible from a legal standpoint, but more important, will this help? Will it do good? Is it the very best that I can do? Laws are important. We can't do without them. But laws are no more than a minimum standard for us to go by. Within the law, we must also be concerned with what is expedient. The fellow who is willing to do anything the law allows is not the fellow you want for a next-door neighbor. But our neighbor shouldn't have that kind of a neighbor either. So we always got to ask, is it beneficial? So I think that, that uh, Stephen, or excuse me, this is Michael. I think that Michael 
makes the point that expedience are judgments in getting a job done. And what it implies is that we want to use the best judgment. There may be a there may be several ways to get a job done. We want to use the best way to get a job done. And that's that I think that's included in the idea of what is expedient. All right. Thank you, Michael, for that uh, excellent uh, comments uh, you've given us tonight on the program. As we talk about uh, Bible authority, Dad, there are three verses that uh, you can really string together to show the need for authority. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Dad. Hebrews 11, verse 6 tells us one important principle. What does Hebrews 11, verse 6 tell us? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we've got to have faith to be pleasing to God. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 tells us whatsoever is done without faith is sin. So if you do something without faith, it is sin. You've got to have faith in order to be pleasing to God. How do you get that faith? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we've got to have faith in all that we do. If we do something without faith, it is a sin. And how can we do it by faith if it's not in the word of God? Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Therefore, we've got to have Bible authority for all that we do. And if we don't, it's, we're, not, a faith. it's not a faith, and it's a sin. And you can't be pleasing to God by doing it that way. Exactly right. All right. I think that's a good way to look at it. Anthony has sent in a follow-up. He said, I just caught the end of the discussion about my comment about examples of source authority. He says, I wanted, wanted to follow up. I was trying to say that I have encountered some folks who seem to think that a specific example is required for every action we take. Clearly, we do not have to have an example for everything. Examples are only one potential source of authority. hope this elucidates my point. Of course, I agree that if a practice for which there is no direct example violates another command or principle, it should not be done. I think we're in agreement. I agree with you, Anthony. Thank you for yeah, that thanks, follow-up. Thanks, Anthony. We got just a, a few minutes left, Jacob, and I wanted to deal with an email question that came in to me today, earlier in the day, and I thought we could answer the question maybe by using the principles that we have tried to set forth in the last two weeks of study. Uh, this is addressed to the preacher and or elders of the congregation. It, is it wrong to have a fellowship annex at the building, the purpose of which is fellowship meals, fellowship meetings, I guess? This annex building, I am told, was purchased not of church funds but by a past member. It is maintained with a monthly contribution of building fund for regular building maintenance issues. Uh, and then this says respectfully searching a brother in Christ. Well, how would we answer that question? We want to start out by saying if it is going to be a part of the work of the church, it really doesn't matter how how the necessarily how it was originally obtained or or how how the church came in possession of this building, this annex, this fellowship annex. Uh, I mean, we we could have issues about how they got it if they used church funds to purchase it. I think we could we could even have issues about how they obtained it, but they've got it, and and let's accept that they didn't spend any church money in order to to, to have it. Can they now have it and use it as a part of the work of the church because church funds weren't used to purchase it? Well, I, I would say the, the the real question is, is it authorized for the church to be in that business? You know, just the expenditures of funds is not the only way by which a church is involved in something. If they lend their credibility to it, if they lend their approval to it, if they lend their acknowledgement to it as a part of their function, then they're involved whether they spend a dime or not. I remember one time I was talking with some fellows, uh, and they said, well, the church had – there's a church softball team. And I said, where's the authority for that? Where's the authority for the church to have a softball team? Well, they said, well, the church doesn't spend any money for it, 
uh, all the players buy their own jerseys and caps, and they they have their own baseball equipment. The church doesn't spend any money for it. But and 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 so they said it was okay because the church wasn't spending money. I, the point I made to them is the church doesn't have to spend money before they are involved. You're involved, in other words, by means of announcing the schedule, by a means of promoting the participation in it then the church is involved whether they spend a dime or not. And so, then their name on the jersey associates them with that activity. I told them that this was the example I made to them. I said, what if we were in a college town? I said, what if here in this college town, this church, a, a group of guys at the college, you know, college college guys drink beer, and they have even have beer drinking contest. And so a group of guys get their own, they pay for it with their own money. They get their own jerseys, Church of Christ beer chugging team. Mm-hmm. Would you want them to have the name of the church on that shirt? Absolutely not. What I'm saying, when you lend your name, when you lend your endorsement of a thing, you were involved whether any actual monies were spent or not. So I think one of the fallacies of this, uh, of what this man is asking is the idea that just so long as the church does spend money, they can do a whole lot of things. And that's not necessarily so. The question is, is the church authorized to be involved in such activities? One of the ways that we denote involvement is by spending money, but that's not the only way. And so my answer would be I don't think that's a, a, a scriptural arrangement. It's got the church involved in an activity, in, in endorsing and promoting an activity that is not the work of the church. All right. Well, certainly as an important discussion. As we pointed out tonight, we must have Bible authority for all and, we do. And, and as I said earlier, what we want to do in coming weeks is maybe spend some more time taking these principles of Bible authority and applying them to the work of the church, what's to be done, and how is it supposed to be done. All right, so more to come in the weeks that follow. Lord willing, we'll look forward to talking more about authority because, Dad, we've got to have faith for all that we do again, and uh, we need to be sure and confident that what we're doing is authorized by the scriptures, that God's happy and pleased with it because we want him to be happy. We don't care about our own happiness. We care about doing what God wants and glorifying him. And so that's why we need to and, have and Bible that, and, and in order for us to know that we're doing that, we've got to have Bible authority that's for right. everything we do, Colossians 3.17. All right. Next week, Jacob, Lord willing, the discussion is going to be about the Salvation Army. I think it's a topic we have not ever talked about before. We don't always... And know in advance, but uh, we've already uh, locked down on a topic for next week. Chris Bates is going to be here to study with us, and he's done some work studying about the Salvation Army. And, of course, it's the time of year we hear a whole lot about the Salvation Army. So next week, Lord willing, that's going to be our topic. Be sure to listen for that. All right. We appreciate you listening to the program tonight. We hope that you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life. Study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.